just kind of a reminder, uh, already been, you've heard it. If you're going, you will hear it. But Heidi's here tomorrow and um, Tuesday for a Lenten preaching, so um, make your plans if you haven't already. Um, we've been in Romans. Last week we were in chapter 9, and Paul started off the, the chapter about how he was in great sorrow and anguish about his fellow Jews and how they were just not getting it. And he would prefer to be accursed so that they would understand that Jesus was the Messiah and he would he was here for them. Um, Paul quoted from Hosea, and when he said, Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. You know, we'll call, the people that are not my people were the Gentiles, and he will call them his people. And that was something that the Jewish leaders, for the mo- for sure, and other Jews also, were not understanding. Even Paul earlier on. And so when we get to verse 30 in chapter number 9, this is another one of those situations where the end of one chapter is really a better beginning for the, for the next, but it, it leads in. So starting at uh, verse 30 and going through um, verse 4 of chapter 10, I'll read it. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the law of, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Righteousness is by faith. And that's what, you know, we've talked quite a bit about is how Abraham trusted God by faith. And Israel, who pursued a law that led to righteousness, did not succeed in that. They they got tripped um, because they they didn't understand what the law was for. And it talks about a stumbling block. It's a foundation is built. You know, a foundation stone. We talk about a foundation stone. And a lot of times we think of that as the cornerstone, but that's really not the foundation stone. You can't see it. 
a foundation stone. Otherwise, if you can see it, the building's not going to be real stable and it'll fall. But when you put that stone out and it's right in front of somebody that's kind of in their own little world, what happens? They trip over it. And that's what was happening to the Israelites, to the Jews that Paul is talking to. And then even when there, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's from Isaiah. Isaiah is telling them. You know, he's in so much, it, a lot of what we talked about or, or read about in chapter 9 and also in chapter 10 is just Paul pulling from the Old Testament. He's just He's drawing out to try to help them to see, them being the, the Jews, that they had had foreknowledge. They just weren't listening. And it can be like us a lot of times. You know, you, you can get told something and then you say, yeah, 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 right. And then next thing you know, when you think back about it, you've been told exactly what was going on. And it wasn't... Uh, a big question mark about what it was, but it had been pointed out to you. And that's kind of what Paul is trying to draw them to, that, you know, the coming king is this human foundation. And, you know, God has been telling them about it and that there's a plan. And he says there in verse 4 of 10, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness who, to everyone who believes. It's not that the law has gone away and Christ supplants it, because even Christ himself said, and we read in Matthew, that I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so... It's kind of like today, the end of the race is City Hall. I mean, it, there is something there. The race doesn't go away. That's just where it is. And so Christ is where the law, as we think of law, ends, but it's really Christ fulfilling what the law was pointing to and what the prophets, Isaiah, Hosea, Joel, there's one over in uh, verse 13 that's from Joel. But even going back to Moses in Deuteronomy and uh, Leviticus, they were constantly being told, you need to pay attention. God has a plan, and the plan is. But they heard the parts. It's kind of like talking to your children. Or probably Cindy would say talking to me. I hear what I want to hear. And they, you know, the Jews were hearing what they wanted to hear. It wasn't that they heard, in a lot of cases, the full sentence, the whole paragraph, and thought about it. I mean, you know, now today, with the help like of Paul, we can look back, we can read, and we go, oh, yeah. But when they were reading it back prior to Christ, and even after Christ came, died and was resurrected they didn't see it they were still reading as they had been taught as they had been told as they had seen and you know they didn't pursue you know they 
didn't pursue the law in humble trust, but they made it a means to establish a relationship, a righteousness. And in doing so, what happens? It becomes work. I mean, you know, their goal was to work it out by by being so in step with the law. I mean, the Pharisees particularly, you know, if you think about the Pharisee who was praying in the temple, he, excuse me, he said, you know, thank you, God, for not making me like that tax collector. Whereas the tax collector was over there being humble before God. And, of course, in the parable, Christ is trying to point out the difference, but that is very much the way the Jews as a nation were geared. It was the law had become the goal, and they didn't have trust in God and follow through with humbleness. Um, you know, they had a, you know that zeal they had for God had become misdirected. Um, they weren't going in the direction they needed them to go. And looking at Galatians chapter three verses seven through fourteen. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, And you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all these things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for righteousness shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Paul was very familiar with the Old Testament. He he was educated. He was a well-educated Pharisee. Um, and was trained by one of the foremost scholars of his day. So he had studied them and he had seen them, but it took his Damascus experience to get him to fully understand, to put the pieces of the puzzle, so to speak, together to see what was really laid out. Um, If someone would be kind enough to read now the... um, Verses 5 through 13. I would appreciate it. That's short, I'll do it. Okay, coffee. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ out. Or, Who will descend to the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. 
But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank you. <coughs> Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on law and that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And, and Leviticus 8.5, which is that, which is you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Well, you know, he, he's saying that if you live by them, but we all know we can't. And But the righteousness based on faith does. Do not say in your heart that we will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. This comes from Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy, Moses was really telling the people, here's what has happened, here's what's going to happen. And in uh, chapter 30, um, verses 12 through 14, it is not in heaven that you shall say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the, wor but the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. You know, so what Paul is saying here is, we don't have to go up to heaven. Christ has already come. He's shown us. He's shared that world. We don't need to go down into the word, into the abyss to death because Christ has already risen up. We've had it there in front of us, and it's there. We've got to, to look at it because Paul is trying to get them to understand that the covenant that God was talking about is through faith. And he's wanting them to understand that membership in God's family through Abraham is that because Abraham was a man of faith, not because you are in the physical bloodline of Abraham. It is through that faith. And so we don't have to go anywhere. We just got to open up. You know, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. And Paul tells them there are two things that you've got to do. One, you've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. You know, you can believe, but you can't just say, I believe, because uh, even in the Gospels, you know, 
the evil spirits knew who Christ was. They even begged him to go away. They acknowledged who Christ was, but they didn't believe in their heart. They just wanted to go about doing and inflicting harm on the person that they were in. But they acknowledged who Jesus was. But it's the combination of the two. You know, if you believe in your heart, that's good. But you've got to really hear your own voice say it. I was venting to the friend one week or so ago, and then when I got through, I go, I'm sorry I was venting, and just forgive me. And his response was, sometimes you just need to hear it out loud. And, and the, that's kind of what this is. When you hear your own self say it, not just think it, but hear yourself say it, Jesus is Lord. That just comes across really in your brain even more. Just like, you know, I got it out. I said it. I wasn't just um, letting it iterate within my uh, consciousness. So, you know, Paul is telling them there are two things that you have to do. You have to believe and you have to verbally confess. And then Paul again quotes in chapter 11, quotes from Isaiah, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, you won't, you know, life may not be a bed of roses, but you will not be put to shame in that when the final day of judgment comes, you will not be shamed. And, you know, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. And then he quotes from Joel. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says everyone. And you know, that's part of what Paul is trying to get them to understand. It's everybody. It's not just Jew. It's Jew and Gentile. So regardless of your standing through your bloodlines, it's everyone that believes and calls on the name of the Lord. So this was in the Old Testament. It was there before them. But then, what do we have to do to hear? How did those hear? Well, you know, it's those who are called have to go and preach. And they have to be out there. That was one thing, not just Paul, but all the apostles were very much in they had to get the word out. And we know, you know more about Paul going out, some about Peter, but if we go into early church history, we all we know that they dispersed. Uh, Thomas supposedly went all the way to India. They were going out. They were sharing this word. And that was when he talks about beautiful are the feet. It's not somebody, you know, um, sitting at the beach and, people looking at toes and all that and saying, boy, those are good looking. It has to do with messengers. They were walking. They were going out. It was those people that were moving around, preaching the good news. It's how they were. They were beautiful people. And so it's going out and sharing it and obeying it. And, you know, he says there, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Here again. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? 
you know, it's Isaiah was crying out that they would hear, that they would know. Paul then reaches into Psalms. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. In in Deuteronomy, I got it right. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. I'll make them jealous of those who are Gentiles, that are, gent- that are believers through faith, and it'll make you angry. You'll be jealous because they'll be receiving the blessings that you thought you were going to get because you were of the bloodline of Abraham. But no, it's more. You have to believe and confess. And I got a little head. We didn't read through uh, (laughs) verse 14. Let me start at 14. I'll go to 21. How then... Will they be called, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him for whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have you not heard? Indeed they have. For their voices have gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And with a foolish nation... I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. They were doing what they could almost to anger God. Uh, in Deuteronomy, Moses in chapter 28, 29, and 30, which is toward the end of that book, was telling them, here's what's going to happen. And if you follow God, if you please him, if you do what he asks, you're going to be blessed. Um, and you'll receive that. Um, but... Moses in 28 and 29 predicts their disobedience, that they're going to be cursed. But then in 30, he talks about how they'll be rescued and promised to transform them so that they can keep his law. And the transformation really is understanding that it 
becomes, as Paul has talked about earlier in Romans, it's a circumcision of the heart, not of the flesh. And then that's that understanding. And what's interesting I found is that in the Apocrypha in Baruch and also in some of the Dead Sea Scrolls that are talk of, that are wisdom related and talk about works of the law, they saw and understood the suffering curses that were talked about in Deuteronomy that Moses was showing them. And they saw that God provides a way for Israel to return. You know, they just saw it, the Israel, the Jews just saw it as when the Assyrians came and took them away and then they came back. And uh, then um, the Persians came and got them and they finally got to go back. That that's what the, the release was. But they were now seeing some of the people in between the period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament that God was providing a plan and it was a fresh gift of grace. It was Christ. Um, and they understood that those who embrace the new way will be marked in the present whom God will save and declare to be his people in the future. You know, Paul is praying, you know, for his people, the Jews, that, you know, they will see that God has unveiled his salvation for all, that they will understand that it's not their special little something to keep here in the corner. Because that was the big problem that the Jews had, is they didn't understand that God's promise to them as they went into the promised land was they were to be the light and carry God's message and not hoard it. You know, it's like you give a child a toy, an older child, young children, that's just the way they play. But all of a sudden, you know, you can't play with my football or you can't play with my doll or you can't ride my bike because it's mine. I don't care. It's mine. They don't believe in sharing. But they were going out and needed to understand that everybody was in God's plan and that all who were brought or believed in their heart and acknowledged Christ were wearing that new badge that they will all be saved. You know, before the badge had to do with, you know, the Jewish males because of circumcision, but the badge now was the badge of faith through Abraham. Abraham believed, and he did it through faith. And so that is who the covenant has always been to. But it, was, it reached a point of God's plan. God's plan is not laid out like we think a puzzle ought to be laid out. And that's why the Jews didn't understand. And so Paul, here again, is in his prayer, is that they'll understand there's a new way that they need to come, they need to acknowledge, they need to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord. And that admission, that belief is that new badge that says you have God's blessing 
and it's to all people. Well, have a nice week. Come here, Heidi. Uh, then there are two others. Uh, Richard Simmons is on Wednesday, and then somebody from uh, uh, John Lumbaugh or something, I believe it is, is um, is Jonathan. Yeah. Um, apparently, he's uh, from the uh, associate professor of New Testament at Knox Theological Seminary, but he's also involved with um, redoing uh, music uh, related to old hymns, and not necessarily old hymns that we're familiar with, but some of them we're probably not familiar with, as the dean said, because the music is not that good. (laughs) And so he's uh, trying to bring them back to the forefront. But anyway, have a good week. And uh, well, just, oh, I'm sorry. There's, there's a thread that I picked up here okay. that I've not seen before that really doesn't bear on necessarily the lesson, but <clears throat> a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, that appeared about 1100, 900 to 1100 years later from Isidore of Seville, who says the Visigoth kings, in the zeal of, recent, of their recent conversion, had an, had an enthusiasm not in accord with knowledge. Which sort of is a parallel yeah, that. That's exactly. Well now that is boy, that that that's really that's really down in the weeds. <laughs> well, but you know that that's minutia. <laughs> but you know, that's what creates the problem is a lot of times these people sincerely believe, but it's mix misdirected belief. I have a down in the weeds um Thing to point out also, back in the in the first passage, the one that Steve read, at the end of chapter nine, verse thirty, what are we to, to say? Gentiles who did not strive for righteousness have attained it. That is righteousness through faith. The commentary that John Stott wrote is that the Greek verb for attained is not like just kind of got there or arrived or had it handed to them, but actually seized it. And that got me interested to see what the Greek verb was. And the Greek verb is one that's, you know, kind of been a fixation of mine for a lot of years. It's katalabin. Well, that's the same verb as in John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness has not comprehended it. The darkness has not grasped it. Kakalabin. So if we understand what what Paul is writing, is that <coughs> even though the Gentiles were not seeking righteousness, because they were pagan, and worse than that, really, nevertheless, now they had completely seized and grasped it, whereas Israel, which was always about righteousness, has not. They're looking in the wrong direction. They're, they're looking at the actual works as opposed to the grace. Unless we think that this is like Paul's commentary on Israel as the Jews and Gentiles as all of us, unless we get on our high horse, as, you know, not to coin a phrase, but this goes back to his treatment in chapter 8 
about how so, we're all called and predestined to be conformed to him, but not all of us accepted. And so we're all Gentile Jew alike, as he says, there's no difference between Gentile and Jew anymore. We're all predestined to be conformed to God through Christ, but only those who have accepted the call, and that was that antinomy that we grappled with a couple of weeks ago when Steve was in was in um, uh, uh, Richmond, that, that on the one hand, our salvation has got nothing to do with us. It was all done by God. And on the other hand, or standing right next to it is the equally true statement that we have to accept it. So in what sense is it all done by God if we have to accept it? In what sense do we have to accept it if it's all done by God? That's the antinomy, the two true statements that stand side by side and that do not seem to square, and yet there they are. And that's the same thing, I believe, that Paul is making the point about <coughs> Israel and the Gentiles. The two. Uh, so Israel and the Gentiles is really all of humanity writ large. It's each one of us in a historical context. But as he's going through this, as Steve said, has always been a history with Israel, but God has never given up on Israel. Even when they were carried off into bondage, even when they were worshiping Baals, God never gave up on Israel, and he won't now. When we Thursday morning Bible study is the lead in to the sermon, and instead of 12 minutes, it's about 42 or 3. And Stephen asked the question about Jesus' baptism. Why did Jesus have to be baptized? Which engendered a lot of discussion about the crucifixion and, that, and, and you know, various things. <clears throat> and I, I'm reading one of John, uh, one of uh, Daryl Bray's, his latest book. And there's a great quote in there from one of the Cappadocian fathers who said, and we were discussing that, you know, Jesus had to be baptized to assume his full humanity, just as he had to die on the cross to assume his full humanity. And one of the ancient Cappadocian fathers was quoted as saying, that which has not been assumed cannot be healed. Wow. Hmm. If Jesus did not assume full humanity, that's a nutrient-dense state. He cannot heal human beings. His death on the cross would have been an empty gesture if it was just a, a symbol up there. It would have meant nothing to humans. Yes, unless he was fully human. His death would have been meaningless. Right. And unless he was fully God, his death would have been meaningless. Going back to Steve quoted um, Thomas, the, one of the most profound statements yeah. in the gospel is when Thomas finally ceases his doubt, he says, my Lord and my God. It's not enough to say you are God, as Steve pointed out, the, the evil spirits acknowledge that all the way through Christ's um, ministry. Satan acknowledged it for 40 days in the wilderness. It's not enough to say my Lord. All of the disciples said that for the three years, my Lord, without realizing who he was. They called him Rabbi. They called him Lord. But it's not until you can you can say the, the two, rep, recognize the two realities in one statement 
my Lord and my God, then that's the moment that Thomas <coughs> became, that's the moment that Thomas, and I think all the rest of the apostles had come to as well. Grasp the nettle, if you will. Grasp the nettle. It's, you know, it, it's almost like in, in John 11, where, where uh, before he is, he's raised Lazarus from the dead, they still don't quite believe that he's God. And even after the resurrection, when they're just, they're demoralized and they're confused and they're heartbroken and they're sitting around in the upper room, they still don't believe he's God. And then Thomas still doesn't believe he's God until he puts his, but, his hands into the nail hole. But Thomas is the guy that first explained. Yes. He exclaimed. He said it. Good session. Thank y'all. Have a great week.